Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnote.com. Thank Pastor for this opportunity. See you next time. Um, and for the trust, right? It's a weighty assignment, but I thank you. I thank you, Pastor Becky and Pastor Papa and Pastor Poset for just allowing me to um, speak what God put in my heart. Amen. I did this pastor appreciation month, so take time to appreciate all they do. I am a pastor's kid, so I know uh, that that assignment is weighty, you know, especially for the kids sometimes. We forget the kids, but sometimes we, we get to share our parents all the time. Um, morning, mid-morning, three o'clock in the morning, weeks at end, but God called us to do that and said, that's awesome. So, Today's Bible verse is Ezekiel 37, 110. So let's get to it. I'm excited um, to what God has. And I will try to pause in between Bible verses and explain it and not rush. Amen. But I do know, I want to tell you that the place that you thought was a place of defeat is really your place of victory. Amen. And so if nothing else you get this morning, just know that when you allow the word of God, and when you allow the presence of God and the Spirit of God to speak into whatever situation you're in, there is going to be life. Amen. So tell your neighbor, I will live. Amen. Tell your neighbor to your left. Tell your neighbor to, I want you to, doesn't matter if you remember if my accent is a problem for you, just tell them you will live. The power of the Lord came over me, says Ezekiel. Oh, it's right there. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> the Lord brought me out of, by his spirit and put me down in the middle of a valley. How many of you feel that they are in a valley right now? I know I am. The valley was filled with bones. He led me all around them. I saw that there were very many bones at the bottom of the valley and they were very dry. How many of you know that if they were very dry, that means that there was no life, no marrow, nothing on these bones? Then he asked me, does God always ask you these questions that you don't know exactly how to answer? Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Not because he didn't know the answer, but he wanted to know my level, his level of faith. And I think he's asking us that this morning, can these bones, and I'm not talking about my old bones, amen? We'll talk what bones are representing here. But can these bones live? Can you answer that? I answer, only you know, almighty Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Tell them, dry bones, listen to the Lord's word. This is what the almighty Lord says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and cover you with skin, I mean, I'm sorry, I will put ligaments on you, place muscles on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will live. Tell your neighbor you will live. Then you will know that I am Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. While I was prophesying, suddenly there was a rattling noise and the bones came together, one bone attaching itself to another. As I looked, I saw the ligaments were on them, muscles were on them, and skin, skin covered them. 
yet there was no breath in them. Then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, tell the breath. This is what the Almighty Lord says. Come from the four winds, breath, and breathe on these people. And their breath means the living breath of the living God. Amen. And breathe on these people that were killed so that they will live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. Then they came to life and stood on their feet. There were enough of them to form a very large army. Amen. I pray and I pray that you receive what God has um, for me and for you. So as many of you know, and before my accent, and if I speak Spanish, you will definitely know where I'm from. Amen. I'm from Argentina. I know some people think Argentina. Some people think I'm from Venezuela. Some people think that I'm from Ethiopia. I've been asked if I was from India. But guess what? I'm from Argentina. And yes, there are people with my skin tone in Argentina. Amen. With brown eyes and dark hair. We're not all one color. Amen. So yes, I'm not faking it. I'm from Argentina. So I came from Argentina a long time ago. But I remember when I was growing up, only about 2% of Argentinians were um, Protestants or evangelicals, right? We were considered a second-class citizen, and I said it that way because things like becoming president, we were not allowed to be because we weren't Catholic, right? And, um, and so when the Pope came to Argentina, everything shut down, and we had to write letters to the Pope, but I couldn't because my parents' pastors would not allow me to do that. Right? We had to have pictures of the Pope on our books and all that stuff, but I couldn't because, and so then, you know, we were considered a cult. People didn't want their kids to play with us. But anyways, I grew up during a uh, dictatorship where any difference of thought could put you in jail. Where the military could come into a bus or train and require anyone and everyone to show their ID. We were entering, we entered, while I was about 13, we enter into a feudal um, war and necessary with England, like we were going to win, okay? <laughs> England and the United States against Argentina, not happening, because we wanted our islands back, Las Islas Malvinas, and I will continue to call it that because they, are, they do belong to Argentina regardless of what other people say. Hopelessness, fear, chaos, and mistrust were palpable and visible in Argentina. Here we like to complain about the, um, I always laugh, we complain about inflation. And you know what inflation is, it's how fast prices arise. And so I was looking because I remember, so here's about 3.7%. I remember in Argentina, well, um, right now I checked, it's 124%, okay? So try to live in that country when you don't know what prices are gonna be. But when I grew up, when I was, a teen before we came, I remember going to the store and my mom said, go look in the back of the shelf because those prices in the morning were one price, but in, at noon, they were a different price. In the afternoon, they were a different price and the evening, they might have triple, right? So I tell you that inflation while I was there, my last three years there, 
was between 672% and 3,079%. Why am I telling you all this? Not because I'm an economics major, which I'm not, okay? So you can imagine the uncertainty and instability that existed there. People did not know, they didn't trust the government, they didn't trust each other. We weren't allowed to give phone numbers to our friends because if the military got a hold of that and they were um, people that they didn't like, we might get in trouble ourselves. We couldn't believe TB. The banks will be open or they will be closed. But the amazing thing about all this chaos that Argentina was dealing with was that in the middle of it all, they were we were experiencing a spiritual revival. In the middle of it all, God was showing up and people were thirsty for him. I remember that we had uh, Luis Pala, which is an was an amazing evangelist from Argentina. Billy Graham came and visit. People were filling stadiums, trying to hear what God had to say and how their lives will be transformed. And so churches like ours were getting, you know, we were volunteering because we wanted to be part of this amazing revival. People were walking around like dead bodies, but they wanted something different. They wanted God. And so as, um, you know, um, as a teen, my parents sent me to a, a training camp um, called Evangelismo Explosivo. I don't know if you remember that. Ex Evangelism Explosion. That's what it was. And we were there because they were training us how to be able to reach others, right? And part of it was we wanted to make sure that everybody was going to heaven. So we part of the assignment was that we will go to, after the, the retreat, we will go um, to the um, to the park and said, excuse me, you know, I was 15. We will say, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, excuse me, whatever. And uh, I said, if you die today, do you know where you're going? That was the first question that we will ask, right? The second question was, and if you die today, what would you, and God asked you why he should let you in, what would you say? And after that, we will go through the entire um, Romans um, road. And we were doing that because with this great revival, churches were filling in, and we wanted people to know God. And then when they were coming, you know, they went to these campanias or um, tent meetings, and uh, people will come to our churches, and we will go and visit them and say the same thing, right? Do you know where you're going? So I went to training because I needed to learn all this, and my parents thought it was a great idea. And the very first day of my training, of the training, and I was 15, remember that, um, they asked us to do a picture to, uh, of what our Christian walk was like, right? Uh, a representation, an artwork of what did the Christian walk look like. And this is what I drew. Do you guys have it? I know that I messed them up because I skipped two Bible verses. So this was mine, like I remember. So I was 15 and I said, well, I have some mountain times. I have some easy going times. I have some deep valleys. And then back to the mountains, 
back to walking, but I really was so embarrassed about it because I thought that as a good Christian, my walk should look like this straight line, nothing wrong ever, that I would never have a valley, that I should never be um, afraid, that I should never be anxious for anything. I, I, didn't, I should not be in a valley. That's what I thought. And then I'm here, I'm learning on how to evangelize the world. And this is my picture of my Christian walk. And all I could think was, what a fake. You're going to go to the park tonight and you're gonna tell them and you can't even keep it a straight line? But you know what I learned and what I will say to my 15 year old self? And what I would remind the 50 plus year old today? Hey, I'm half a century, okay? But I think I look good for half a century. Well, thank you. Thank you, thank you. I would tell her that while the mountains are great and are necessary, the valleys are even more necessary. It's in the valleys where, you know, not even Jesus stayed in the, in the mountains. When the transfiguration took place, Peter, like, we, Peter, I love Peter. Peter and I are friends. So I would have said the same thing, right? We have Elijah, we have Jesus, this amazing moment in the mountain with Jesus. And Peter said, hey, why don't I just build us? a little place so we can stay here. And how many of you and me would love to stay in the mountaintops all the time? But Jesus said, no, we're going down. And if you're going down, where are you going? To a valley. It's in a valley that we learn how to trust God, how to walk with God, how to battle. Amen? Life is good in the mountaintops because those are celebrations. But no matter how much we would like to spend our lives there, because we don't like tough things, right? We need to go through them. Still, they're valuable lessons. So, lessons, so the, uh, the lessons from the valley as I was studying this, there are five things that I really want you to remember. Lesson one, God is in the valley. And it's an active participant in that experience. God doesn't leave you in the valley by yourself. Amen. And you can define valley however you want to define your valley. It could be, for me, many times my valley is anxiety and depression. Many times it's my need to be accepted by others. Right? For you might be a financial valley. For you might be a marriage that is coming to an end. Or it might be um, fears. Or whatever it is where you consider a valley, that's the valley that you need to um, learn from and move on. Because valleys are not permanent stations either. Right? While we want to be in the mountaintop and stay on the mountaintop all the time, we sometimes have really built really beautiful mansions in in the valley, right? You have your 5,000 square fortress where nobody else can enter with all the luxuries and then you're 
depressed or you are upset that nobody else is coming to the valley with you. But you're not allowing anybody else, not even God, in that valley. So the God, the God of the valley, um, in Psalms 23, 1, says... Is that there? One of the valleys is the valley of death. And he said, even though I walk through... So did he stay in there? No, he walked through. Even though I walk through the dark valley of death, so we know we're all going to go through a valley of death. And it's in that valley where some of our attitudes need to die, some of these toxic relationships did need to die, some of those mindsets that are not really God's need to die, it's in that valley. But it says, because of you, you are with me, I fear no harm. So in this valley, in this valley of death, there is so much that God does for us. Psalms 23 tells us that there's nothing that I will want in that valley because he provides it all. His staff and his rod, that means his direction and his protection are in that valley. And we try to run away from this valley of death where instead of wanting to meet God in there so he can do his work and we can, and, and, and we can grow. Amen? The other valley that we're going to perhaps go through is the valley of decision. It says, Joel 3.14 says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So do you find yourself there? I know some of us do. As a church, a nation, as a whole, I really believe that in this time, in this season, that's where we can find ourselves. This is just a statement of fact, and I'm not making a political statement, but we're wrestling as a country and as a church with existential questions. Who do we want to be? What do we honor? What does freedom mean in the Lord and outside? Should I go or should I stay? Some of us are asking. Should I stay? Should I go? Um, how do I want to re be remembered? You know? How are we presenting Christ to the world? Why are people leaving the church in so, especially younger people, so much? What is it that we're showing them that is not attractive, attractive to them to come to God's presence? Those are all questions, existential questions that take place in that valley. Then some of us might be in the valley of weeping, in the, we're crying, right? We're sad. Psalms 84, 5, and 6, 6, happy are those who are strong in the Lord, who want above all else to follow your steps. When they go walk through, once again, we walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of springs, so refreshing is found in that valley. Amen. I then put verse 7, but verse 7 reads, their strength grows as they go along. And some version says, they go from strength to strength along until, um, until each one of them appears in front of God in Zion. It's in this valley that we learn that our strength is not ours, but that the strength comes from the Lord.
and that you know walk with Christ towards his presence because Zion and Jerusalem is where at that time the presence of God was right our strength is growing in this valley of weeping our strength is growing isn't that kind of like opposite right your strength grows when you're in that valley and then we have the valley of blessing we like that one right we all want that valley and in that valley I love it because I don't know if you know the story of Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat was a king that um, was in, in the middle of valley and all these other kings were saying we're coming to fight you okay get ready because we're coming and so he didn't know what to do and his response said we're gonna seek the Lord and he God's response to him was and I'm paraphrasing this fight is not yours the victory is mine and I'm gonna take care of it for you you all you gotta do in this valley is just stand and let God war on your behalf and so the valley of blessing is because after this war they started collecting all the plant everything that the enemy left and they were so much that the people started worshiping and blessing God for all the stuff that was left for them it's in that valley that we learn to ask to seek and to allow him to work on our behalf sometimes that's difficult because we really want to do it on our way right we really want to say you know how we sing that song victory is mine that's in that valley in that valley of blessing but in the next about 15 minutes I want to talk about this last valley because those were my lessons coming from but I wanted you to have a picture that is just not one, but it's many, right, valleys. And this is the valley that we read at the beginning, which is the valley of the dry bones. And in the very, very first Bible verses that he led me, God took him to that valley. And in the valley of dry bones, that was a vision that Ezekiel, who was the priest, of Israel saw these dry bones. At that time, Israel went into exile. They were disobedient, God told them, and they went, Babylon came once again and took them out of their comfort zone, out of their nation, and they were so hopeless because they wanted to get back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get back to their nation. They wanted to get back to their families. And now at this moment, it was taking so long that they started doubting whether God was really going to um, uh, fulfill his promise to them or, no, or not. And so God comes to Ezekiel and says, this is the, tell this to your people. Amen. And in there, we see in this Bible verse, it says, he led me all around them. That means, you know, that when they went into this valley, it was full of bones. It was really the remnant of a really battle with, between Babylon and Israel. And the soldiers had not been um, buried, which was a disgrace. Right? And how sometimes we feel that when we're hopeless or when things are not working out, we feel ashamed. We feel embarrassed. We feel that this shouldn't happen to us. But God didn't care. He brought him to the middle of it all. And so the lesson number two, so lesson one is he's there. He's the God of the valley. Lesson two is trust in God, even when the situation looks or feels dire because he knows 
he knows and when I say he knows I mean God knows amen Ezekiel 3 37 1 2 says he led me all around them all around these bones that were that had no life they were brittle they were cracking they were um, I imagine if they stood any put any weight on them they would break and sometimes we feel that way right there's just one more thing if there's one more thing I'm giving up one more thing I, my back is breaking and he said I saw that there were very many bones at the bottom of the valley and they were very dry and then he asked me God asked Ezekiel son of man can these bones live I answer only you know Almighty Lord because sometimes our faith is not there yet right sometimes we look at that situation and we're looking at these dry bones in the natural right can these bones live in the natural no but in the spirit realm can these bones live these bones live absolutely and he said Lord only you know um, almighty God omnipotent omnipresent omniscient creator of heaven and earth you are the only one that knows whether my situation is going to be is going to live or is going to die and I need you to tell me because I don't know I don't have the faith to respond to that question it's in that valley where now Ezekiel understands that he's surrendering to him. He will have the answer that God has for him. Not his own answer because he didn't answer. He didn't say, oh yeah, absolutely. Or, you kidding me? Look at these bones. He could have said that, but he didn't. He said, only you know. And I challenge you today that whatever situation you're in, that that ought to be your answer. Lord, only you know. I don't know if this marriage is going to continue. I don't know if my finances are going to get better. I don't know any of that. I can only see this way. And it doesn't look good. But Lord, only you know. I was reading um, psychology today. And a, a psychiatrist wrote, I find the degree of cynicism that permeates our world today striking and traveling. As a psychiatrist who often works with young people, I find it particularly concerning. It is rare that a young person I work with expresses real hope about what lies ahead. I view making sense of what we see and responding effectively to what be one of the most important mental health challenges over time. People around us are walking without hope, and we have the answer. We have the answer. Can these bones live? Yes, because if I allow God into my situation, they will. Now, if you feel hopeless, please seek help. Amen? Don't try to figure it out on your own. There are plenty of people here that can just, that's their job help people that need help. The third lesson, the third lesson that I learned comes from Ezekiel 37.4. And it says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones. Tell them, dry bones, listen to the Lord's word. This is what the almighty Lord says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. So my third lesson as I was 
thinking of my own values was that God speak God's word to your situation. To speak it. It didn't look that they were going to live, right? But you speak that word. And don't speak to the situation. Don't call the situation what the situation is. You speak to the future of that situation. Amen? The uh, proverb says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The survival verse in Hebrews 11.3 that says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And if God framed the world with his words, and we know this in Genesis, that everything was formless until his words came into it, into the space. And now we have heaven and we have earth. We have sun, we have day, and we have night. It was his words. Amen? So if your world is out of control, chaotic, and without form, use the word of God to frame it. But you don't frame it as saying things like, oh my God, my child is so rebellious. We tend to do that, right? So if that's what you're speaking, that's the world that you're creating. When your child is rebellious, why are you surprised? My child is not rebellious. My child is a child of God. It's an arrow in the hands of the mighty warrior. When he gets old, when she becomes old, she will, he or she will not depart from you, God. I speak the words of God. He, God called them a blessing. He created them according to his image. So if my children are not operating according to the original principles in rulership and dominion and power, what am I speaking? My marriage is not a disaster. My marriage is an image of, between, uh, of the relationship between Christ and the church. It might not be together, but guess what? It honors the original intent of what God wanted. My husband is not crazy. Amen. You know, oh, I can't stand my, no. What are you saying about your husband, women of God? He's a man of valor. He's the head of the house. He's a leader. Amen. What are you saying about your women? Amen. What are you saying about us? We are the prophet to your kingdom. We speak, you know, in every kingdom there was a king and there was a prophet. Do you want to know the word of God? Listen to your wife. That's for you, ladies. Listen to your wife. Now, if your wife is a little off, you know, you're the king, you can overrule that. <laughs> Don't go and say, well, she told no. Don't put it on me, amen? <sighs> Lesson four. Lesson four is, it is a process. We want everything immediately, That right? We love when God use, um, operates on the suddenly, right? When it's immediately, when it's right now, but most times, there is an order as to how he does things. And in this Bible verse, if we read Ezekiel 6, uh, 37, 6 and 8, it says, the first thing that he put was ligaments, right? The second thing that he brought was in muscles and then skin. Amen? Ligaments, to me, repre represent uh, the foundation. 
right? The ligaments is what ties the, and I'm not a biology major, so if you're a nurse, if you're a doctor, if you're a scientist, this is me, all right? Ligaments um, connect the bones. So you can't have bones coming together if you put the skin first. You gotta put the ligaments first, right? And so the ligaments, for a true revival to really take place, you need connection, connections and sta stabilization. You need something to keep the bones stable, right? So we want revival like this, but then we don't want to connect with anybody. We don't want to connect with God, and we don't want to connect with the people of God. We, we, our foundation is a shaky foundation. That the, the ligaments make the foundation strong. Then he said he brought muscles, right, after the, after the ligaments. And so we have over 600 of them, I found out. And some of them include the heart that pumps blood, um, includes the lungs that bring air. Also, your tongue is a muscle and sometimes gets me in trouble. Amen. But these muscles were the ones that went with the, uh, um, with the bones and the ligaments. And for that, to me, is... These are the muscles that put you in the right posture, posture for revival. Amen? Because now you are tied to God, you are seeking God, you have the foundation in God. What's the right posture that you ought to have for revival to take place in whatever dead area in your life you, you, you have? Some submission to his word, humility, repentance, standing in his presence, Prayer, acknowledgement that without him, you're really nothing. You can't even take the next breath. We think that we are a lot. But really, if God doesn't give us the next breath, we can't take it. And finally, he put on skin over the bones and over the muscles. Now he puts skin. And that, to me, is the way he protects us. The way that he covers us. In the middle of whatever situation you're in, God is covering you. He's not exposing you to the elements. He's not exposing you to people. and He's not exposing you to the devil. He's protecting you. And so it's in this valley where we learn how to allow God to protect us. And I love because in that Bible verse says that there was a rattling of the bones. And I love that. And I know every time I speak, I say the same things. There are three things you always know. The noise, the sound, and the voice. And I love the rattling because that's a noise. And the noise is meant to confuse your enemy. And when you conf the enemy gets confused when he saw, thought that that was a dead situation and you weren't coming out of that. And now you have bone, your bones have ligaments, they have muscles, they have skin. You're standing up straight and he thought he had you. But in the spirit of God says, no sir. My children are standing straight because they are that great army that are going to fight. He's afraid of the rattling. And you're afraid of your noise. And finally, 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 Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10 says, Then the Lord said to me, so amazing thing is, he wasn't done. God wasn't done with the reviving. He wasn't done with the restoration. Yes, you were standing up, but you weren't complete at that moment yet. Ezekiel 37 says, Then the Lord said to me, Prophesy. Prophesy means speak. Amen. You don't have to be a prophet. You don't have prophet so-and-so. You can prophesy. 
when you listen to the word of God, when you're in the right sound wave and you listen to God, God has to say, you can prophesy to your situation. And he says, then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, tell the breath. That this is what the Almighty Lord says. This is what the, uh, the creative, Creator God says. Come from the four winds. Breathe and, and breath on these people who were, I mean, four winds breath and breathe on these people who were killed so that they would live. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. To destroy your hope, to kill your family, to kill your dreams. But God has come so we might have life and have it more abundantly. And the only way that that will happen is if you allow the Holy Spirit to do his job in your life. The Holy Spirit comes to walk alongside. The breath of life to breathe, the Ruach breath to breathe upon you. So you not only have bones, not only just walking, a dead walking, but now you're alive. Now you can speak God's word to, to the winds. You can speak God's word to whomever and whatever. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breathe, enter them. The fundamental lesson of this story is when the Spirit of God is present, his people are unable to live. Putting breath by God's Spirit into the bones show that God will not only restore you physically, mentally, financially, emotionally, relationally, but most importantly, that He will restore us spiritually. No matter how dry your bones have become, God can change that today. And so as I conclude, I encourage you to make a decision for God to choose him today no matter the circumstance you are in right now allow God and his spirit to invade it and if you're not in a valley a season of valley I just ask you and pray that you pray for us that we will allow and invite the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives freely that we will be able to shut down all other voices and outside influences. That we are able to tune perfectly to his sound wave. And that we can hear his direction perfectly. That we will surrender to his guidance and speak the word of God with power and with precision. And I want to finish with this. That we can also say, like Habakkuk said, it says, even if the fig tree does not grow figs, and there is no fruit on the wine, on the vines. Even if the olives do not grow and the fields give no food, even if there are no sheep within the fence and no cattle in the cattle building, yet I will have joy in the Lord. I will be glad in the God who saves me. The Lord God is my strength. He has made my feet like the feet of the deer. And in here it talks that the feet of the deer, as they're going out of that valley and as they're going up on the mountain, they transform and they morph to be able to um, go over whatever terrain they're having to go to. Amen. And he makes me walk on high places. And so if you can please stand. And we're going to dismiss and pray for those that are online and at the same time if the worship team can come 
Father, for those that are online, God, we just ask you that you would just show yourself mighty, that the breath, your breath will breathe life into their situation, oh God. That they will know that you are there with them, oh Father. That the process is part of our walk with you, oh God. That your presence, oh God, and your word and your spirit will transform whatever circumstance they're in. And we ask you, if they don't know you today, that they will come to know you, oh God. That they will come to surrender their hearts and their spirits and their bodies unto you, oh God. And that you will do a new thing in them like never before. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnotes.org. See you next time.